0: This week on The Short Game, we hone our psychic detective skills. Welcome to The Short Game, a show about the short, narrow, bleeding edge of video games. The games that the big companies cannot dare to create. Uh, I'm your host, Reagan, and uh, and I am joined, of course, this week, as always, by my bro host, Shane. How are you doing, Shane? I'm uh, doing superb. Awesome. And I am joined, of course, by my podcast bud, Nate. Nate Heininger. How are you doing,
1: Nate? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. That is quite the... Uh Right, the opening
0: there. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, we've been talking so much about uh, short games over this time, uh, and and very often we talk about them in terms of how they fit into your life, which is an important aspect of short games. But something important about short games is how they fit into the games industry. And um, what's come up for us many times on this show, and what I think this, sh- this particular game really highlights, is that short games are the land of... Uh, They are they are a hotbed of experimentation in video games and small indie companies uh, Are able to try things with short games that you just don't see in the kind of things that uh, that make it out of the big studios like Ubisoft or EA, you know, you're not going to see a Five-hour Assassin's Creed featuring a storytelling style that is new to the genre. Nope It doesn't exist, but the indie scene is able to try things that maybe work, maybe don't, but often are really innovative and and full of cool experimentation. And that's really what this show is kind of all about. And uh, this week, we are talking about the very interesting environmental storytelling, puzzle, adventure, horror detective detective mystery I would just say I would just say it's a it's a cosmic horror adventure game ooh yeah Uh, the vanishing of Ethan Carter cosmic horror I think that was the part of this game that worked for me the absolute best I was sold the minute I heard it was about John Prospero the psychic detective.
1: Uh, Paul Prospero.
0: Alliteration, Shane. Alliteration. Paul Prospero. Oh, man. I can't get Prospero's name right. So, um, before we dive too close into the game, um, anybody. Uh... My
1: band put out its record. Ooh. Oh, right. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Your band put out its yeah. record. Tell us about it. So, my band put out its record. Uh, <laughs> it's available. Off-
0: I'm a bad friend. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, it's on Bandcamp or something, right? Can
1: I buy it? Well, you can. Thank you for the easy lead. Um, It's actually set as a pay-what-you-want type situation, and we are 100% totally cool with the free download. Uh, We put that up there anticipating, mostly free. Um, We have had some really, really awesome... I guess donations might be the right word for that. Um, Listen, with, don't undersell. You
0: got to tell your, your your devoted fans that uh, the Bear Hive <laughs> record is worth eight hundred dollars per download.
1: Well, that's how we feel, but we haven't quite reached that type of uh, download count.
0: The MP3s are made of solid gold.
1: Yeah, each one you get, you get a bar of gold that comes out of your CD-ROM drive. Um, that's right. That's what they're there for now. Oh man.
0: I knew I should have bought a computer with a CD. Yeah, I know
1: you're regretting it now. Didn't see that one coming, (laughs) Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's all on uh, a bearhive.bandcap.com. Would love for anybody to listen to it and and let me know what you think. We spent a long time working on it and uh, we're pretty excited about it. We've had pretty good response thus far. And I'll try to drop a a little bit of it
0: into the, uh, into the show at this point. Do you have a particular track that you like best that you want me to play?
1: Well, the one that we've been kind of doing as the single, if you will, is the one that we've made that little video for uh, a couple months back. It's called Monuments. It's track five. That uh, was a good track. A, uh, yeah, it's pretty slick. steep inside, your river water was calcified, making strides, don't mind when you're but yeah, I'd love for everybody to listen to it and let me know what they think. Um, awesome. If you like, I don't know, we're, We the genre tags are always difficult, but we call ourselves Electro Lounge, which <laughs> I think gives us way more credit than we actually are, but I think it's a cool genre tag. Uh, we get compared a lot to bands like Battles and Modest Mouse and things like that. So cool. Awesome. If you like those guys, check it out.
0: And if you like Nate's voice, don't bother, because I don't think he sings really, but you know.
1: I, while I have a deep and sultry voice, it does not translate well to <laughs> the uh, the singing element. I'm actually... One of the reasons I play as many different instruments as I do is simply to make up for the fact that I ha- cannot contribute anything on the <laughs> vocal side. As much as I would like to, I've tried, and I do some hollering sometimes, <laughs> you know, in the background when that's, when that's apt, but... Uh, but there's no microphone, so <laughs> you just you just see me just shouting. But I like to think people, you know it's there. You
0: yeah. know, that's what I do when I listen to the record as well. So I just shout yeah. and nobody Good. hears me because I'm in my car. Yeah, it's
1: real, it's real shout-inducing. Uh, not like with the music. It just makes you want to shout. Mm-hmm. More like at the think, music. Yeah. <laughs> at the music. All right, good talk, guys. Good talk, guys. (laughs) All right, Bearhive record, out now. Very
0: exciting. Yes. Um, So we are talking today about The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which is a game that came to our attention mainly because, um, well, we talked in a recent sort of... Our our first shortisode, which if you've been following our feed, uh, is our new format for um, off-week mini-episodes, of which we have done one so far. Uh, Our our first shortisode, we talked about... um, the Polygon article about uh, to hell with short games and in that he, f- he really strongly featured this particular game as an example of the kind of thing that uh, the short kind of game that he wouldn't normally play but because it's so short uh, they paid special attention to. And so of course we wanted to pay special attention to it as well. Uh, the Vanishing of Ethan Carter is a game that you can get for 15 bucks on Steam for your Windows PC right now. And I think that's a pretty good price and and a bargain for it. It takes about three to five hours to complete. When it was first announced, I think it was uh, planned to be PS4. Uh, but it, here it is on uh, on your friendly neighborhood Steam sale or something. Uh, <laughs> pretty much ready to go. Yeah, it's, it's coming out uh, on PS4 a little later this year, I, I think, or maybe in early 2015. Yeah, and And it looks phenomenal on PCs that have a great graphics card in there.
1: Yeah, I played it on my computer with a DualShock 4, so it was as if I had played it on PS4. The graphics are, I mean, it's Unreal Engine, right? Are we, do we wanna talk about how it looks?
0: It is, it's Unreal Engine 3, so it's actually like an older generation Unreal Engine. This is a gorgeous game for an for an indie game. And I don't like hedging like that, you know, that's not to say that indie games look fugly. No, but that's, there's a reason that, that kind of the pixel art style predominates indie games, and that's because development resources are very limited. You know and you if you if you want to make do with what you what you've got in terms of uh the time of your artists and your developers and this game looks phenomenal it is drenched in color uh from the very first moment that you walk out of this tunnel into the environment uh, it's like you're seeing a triple a game it's that good yeah it's set in the outdoors and it has these incredibly high
1: resolution textures. It has a huge
0: open world for you to explore. It's very beautiful.
1: Uh, It did make me think of Brothers, which is a game we played recently. Obviously different tone, different environments to a degree, but you could tell they were made, because that was on the Unreal Engine as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, with that, you're a tiny person in a big world, but still a uh, gorgeous indie game.
0: yeah. and that featured a more sort of painterly style and uh, and non-realistic texture where this has um what's the word? Uh, there's like there's a there's a word for this where textures are taken directly from photography. It's like photogrammetry or something like that. Maybe I'm I'm misremembering it.
1: That doesn't sound right, but it sounds right enough.
0: It's cheating is what it is.
1: <laughs> On that point, though, there was a there was a moment uh, in the... You're out in the woods. You're out in the woods a lot in this game, especially if you're like me and you couldn't find everything you're supposed to find. And you're just out in the woods. And I looked up and through the trees, the sun was coming through. And I was like, this looks like a video. This doesn't look like a game. And I know that, you know, oh, it's so realistic. Gets said a lot, oh, but man. it was one of the most... You know, oh, look, look how real it looks, but it, it really did. I, I was, I was, um, I was taken aback to a degree at how nice it looked. And it was just leaves and trees and sun and stuff and still, it's Like, this is really nice. And and disembodied legs and blood mm-hmm. pools. Yeah, I mean, character models aren't quite there yet, so some of the uh, some of the humans didn't look as real as the trees. <laughs> but uh, it, it was. It was uh, the spaceman, which we'll get to, was very uh, cool looking. Oh,
0: man, don't spoil the fact that there's a spaceman. Oh, man. <laughs> you so, said
1: cosmic already. How... <laughs> I
0: think cosmic horror, I think uh, I think the, the plot line of the family trying to kill the sun for occult reasons, you know? Yeah. That's what really drew me in. So we will dive uh, into all this plot <laughs> stuff after the spoiler break. If that was enough, we'll have an early spoiler break in this episode. Um, oh, yeah. Can we spoiler break right now? Because <laughs> I want to talk about the storyline. Uh, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Before we talk about that, the most important thing about this game is the very first thing that you see, and it's the words that come up on screen that say, oh, "This is yeah. a this game is a narrative experience that does not hold your hand." And for me, like I think they achieved that, and in spades. And I absolutely loved it. It's a game where it's all about the environment telling a story. Environmental storytelling is something that we're seeing in a lot more video games. I think Gone Home was probably the most dramatic example of it we've seen. And the thing that got me really pumped about this game was that it was just the right story to tell because it was a detective story where you're having to... The only way things move forward is by paying incredibly close attention to the environment. And so the gameplay and the story and the incredible technology uh, and artwork uh, of the artwork, um, the all of it really worked together to, to draw my focus completely to the world around you. Let's set up the game a little more in detail. The Vanishing of Ethan Carter is a game by the astronauts, which is a relatively new developer, although I um, I understand that they are not new developers. They are a new company of developers. Primarily, um, Adrian Shimilar's. I think we decided was the pronunciation there. Am I right? In I heard that this is the same company that made Bullet Storm. Is that right? It's a re. Engineering of that same company, so some of the same folks. I don't know the game Bulletstorm though, so I wasn't able to comment on that really.
1: Yeah, when I went on their website, it didn't. They didn't really refer to any other games that they developed. It seems like this, the astronaut is. This was their first product.
0: Yeah, this is their first product under that name, and they have uh, they have had other games under their belt as individual developers elsewhere. I think, um, but uh, headed by Adrian. Um, and the game leans heavily on that environmental storytelling telling a story about a psychic detective it's it's very unclear at the beginning and that's for good reason as you'll find as you progress longer into the game but uh, the game follows the lead character paul prospero who has been invited by mail he's been uh, written to by ethan carter a young boy um, to come to his home, uh, Red Creek Valley, the setting of the game, to investigate weird occurrences there. Um, so apparently, Paul Prospero was in touch with Ethan Carter by mail. Then Ethan Carter goes completely missing, and Paul Prospero, uh, psychic detective, very uh, hard boiled. He's the narrator of the game and also your player character. Um, Great voice actor. Good voice actor. Yeah, yeah very good.
1: And he is—he's straight from uh, any film noir. Uh, movie you've ever seen. I mean, and and so much so that like his character is that of a famous detective. He says, you know, I receive letters all the time. Uh, These letters are often, you know, the same, but something stood out about Ethan Carter's letters, something that only a particular type of person would be able to know. That there are worlds beyond this.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna misquote this, but uh, there's worlds. There's dark worlds all around us. Ethan could have drawn a map. <laughs> yeah, that was a very, I thought, really well written. Uh, it, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Like I, I got the sense that like he he could say he felt like this kid was a was a psychic, like him, and was seeing yeah. the you know the dark side of the world, and and that that he was you know that dark occult forces were being drawn to this child and
1: yeah i'm a sucker for anything film noir especially though i like hard-boiled like oh this is another case another day he, wait he even says this was gonna be my last case yeah <laughs> like it uh, you know which i was like well he's gonna die i mean we're not you know we're not on any spoilers but anytime anyone says this is gonna be my last case it's such a trope but um <laughs> i i thought it, it was such a uh, you know what, what Shane said, that opening line about this game does not hold your hand is totally true, but even the first several lines of dialogue which happen pretty quick are also, they set the tone immediately. Mm-hmm. It, it, and that tone carries. There, there is very few breaches of, of the kind of connection you have with the character. There's a lot of curveballs as far as the story goes and the setting, which we'll talk about, but you never feel like it, it steps too far away from what it's trying to accomplish, at least with Paul Prospero. Well, let's talk about the, the gameplay a little bit, the puzzles, because we've talked a lot about the introduction
0: to the story. Before we can really get into... And I don't want to spoil a- the solutions to any of the puzzles. True. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the mechanics of the puzzles, how the gameplay actually progresses before we dive into the spoiler break. It reminded me in terms of you know the... Exploring the environment and discovering puzzles and how you solve things, it reminded me a little bit of games like Myst that were kind of the classic first person puzzle solving games. Uh, But that's a genre that we haven't really seen much successfully, except for the biggest example of Myst, right? That was like biggest game in the in the world for like 10 years. But I hate describing games by saying, hey, it's this meets that. But I think I think the easiest way that I can describe this game is that this is Gone Home in Skyrim.
1: Uh, but <laughs> no, yeah, except for you that. Know, Gone no. Home is no puzzles. Okay, hear me out.
0: So Gone Home was a game in which you're just you're exploring a personal story, a really personal story by exploring a space and picking up objects and exploring the world. And that's exactly what this game does. But it does it on a scale that feels like you can set out in any direction and discover more story. And when I was thinking about environmental storytelling, which is really the narrative style that this game and Gone Home really lean on, the only AAA-like big budget game that I think kind of really leans on that are games like Skyrim and some of the other Elder Scrolls games where you can set out across the hill and you'll run across something weird that tells you a story even though it's not a person telling you a story, you're not watching a story unfold, you're learning about the world through the objects and the landscape. Um, And so actually, I I do think that this kind of had that feel for me. And there were many times walking across the hill and discovering the witch's house or other things like that, where I really felt like this is something like Skyrim. We are post-spoiler break, right? (laughs) No no we can't we can't do that to this game reagan we we can't i honestly i am speaking directly to the listener right now (laughs) you stop listening to this podcast because reagan is not respecting his spoiler break policy and he's talking about shit that you shouldn't know about so so get off right now i'm instituting the spoiler break here it is all right you win here it is your spoiler break (laughs) Nate, Nate, Nate just had a, had a seizure. I just saw it.
1: I, I'm going to cut you off real quick, though, because you need a third element into that pie. Skyrim and Gone Home is, is good, but yeah, th- like, did you guys play uh, L.A. Noir? Yes. I didn't finish it. I didn't like it that much. Um, yeah, it's not a gr- it's not a great game. It, it it's interesting, but I don't you know. It's an not attempt fin- at the same sort of thing. Yeah, though. not finishing it is is totally reasonable.
0: Detective stories are hard to do in video games. Yeah,
1: but you have to include that element. The mm-hmm. okay, here's a body. How did it happen? Mm-hmm. And if we don't talk about that, you know, gone home. You are not. You're discovering things, but you're not solving things. Unless you just consider like what's the deal with the dad Mm. in like Gone Home I love (laughs) one of my favorite games probably in my top four of games that we've played
0: And that said, like the, there are puzzles in this game. But those puzzles are not super difficult puzzles. Mm-hmm. They're 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 not on the on the level of something like Myst. But what they do do is that they really focus your attention on the right things.
1: <laughs> you said do do.
0: <laughs> the the number one kind of puzzle in this game is the investigation puzzle. And it has two parts. It has you going around and, first off, noticing something that's off. And, you know, they start you off with something really obvious, like a a corpse laying by a train track. And they have you explore around the different parts of the world, and you're you're finding these things and, and realizing that they're out of place, and they have that kind of... Prospero's psychic powers where he can find an object or, or a place where an object might want to be. You're reassembling these murder scenes. You have to find these objects. Let's talk about one of the puzzles in particular, um, the one I think that you're alluding to is the train track murder. So yes. it's not the first puzzle in the game, but it's very early. You come across a train track as you're walking into into Red Creek Valley and you um, uh, lying in the middle of the train track are a pair of disembodied legs cut off at the knees and a, and a pool of blood and then a trail of blood tr- leading away down a path. And if you, of course, follow that, then you find the rest of the body. And you can just walk past it if you want. But your, your goal, if you're interested, is to decide how this guy died. Yeah, and I was alluding to um, when I was speaking a second ago, that the puzzles have two parts. The second part was what I thought was the best way that they focus the puzzles on the storytelling, which is that those puzzles end up with these chronology puzzles, where what you're revealing through your psychic investigation is, here is a sequence of scenes, you know, emotionally high moments that you're getting an impression of off of the surroundings. Yeah, essentially you have to find all of the objects that mm-hmm. are related to the murder. But the chronology part, you see the scenes and you have to
1: put them in the right order. In order to trigger these chronology scenes, you have to essentially recreate the scene. So in this body one, um, it's on a train track, you actually have to go and find the train and move it back to where it was. So you're essentially putting all the puzzle pieces together before Prospero enters into his power, which is what Shane was talking about, where he essentially collects the memories from the dead body, at least that's how I interpreted it. Once yeah. you solved it and you touch the body, not in a literal sense, but in the, in the psychic power sense, a, a ghost of memories come flying out of the body and you go and you have to put it in order. And this was actually, I thought the most fun part of the, of the game, the most. Immediately rewarding and interesting part It
0: was although it was actually sort of in a way the kind of most gamey part and I I thought that was interesting The game doesn't feel strongly video gamey through most of it You feel like you're sort of walking around and exploring a world and then suddenly once you have found these murder scenes that you just sort of stumble across as you wander and you uh, and you Put things together you try and reassemble what parts of the world were used in this murder Then you get into this very video gamey moment where you have to assemble the steps of the murder and figure out what order things happened in.
1: Yeah, I uh, you know, you're talking about how you have to discover it. Um, My first experience of playing this game was I'd gotten home from work and I was kind of tired and I laid in my bed and I got my laptop and I started playing and I was just walking following the train tracks, um, assuming that's the way I was supposed to go because I've been trained by video games to follow the path. And thereby completely disregarding the very first part of the game, which I later learned. And I just kept following the train track. Apparently, in my first playthrough, I ran right past the legs. I don't know how I did that. And I fell fell asleep in real life um, and woke up and closed the game and started about four days later where I just restarted from the beginning and was like, how did I walk right past these legs? But, you know, it shows that they don't hand it to you. you. You really, you know, if you walk straight right out of the beginning, you're missing something. And then if you walk and you don't notice the legs, it doesn't go like, hey, look behind you or put up a wall that you have to pass or anything. You can just walk. There's, there's one part near the end that you kind of have to unlock to move forward. But other than that, you can pretty much walk to the very end of the game.
0: I actually don't think there's anything in this game that would stop you from just starting the game and walking all the way to the very end. You wouldn't see the ending, I don't think. You wouldn't actually have the experience of going through the ending. You can't complete the game, but you can see the entire world.
1: I don't know if we want to talk about the the basis of each individual puzzle, if you will, is revolves around stories written by Ethan Carter. At at each situation you find, um, you play out a scene and it results in you finding a scrap of paper that will have two to three paragraphs of a story written by Ethan Carter. And as you read the story, you'll get a little bit of dialogue, usually between Ethan and a family member. Uh, that plays just in your head where it's just all voice acting. You never see it. Uh, And that's how you learn more about Ethan Carter and his family and the situations that have led you here. And the scenes that you're playing out, like the train track or some of the ones that uh, you, all the ones that you go through are directly related to the story. So we had mentioned the Spaceman one. There's an encounter with a Spaceman, which we don't have to go into all the details of every spot. But yeah. once you complete it, you read a little story that Ethan wrote about a spaceman. And so the world is put together. Each of these little instances you deal with are created from Ethan's story. And with the whole supernatural element, you think, you know, at least as I was mm-hmm. going through it at this point, it's like this is Ethan's connection. This is his, his power or however you want to see it, is that his stories are either creating this world or he's seeing these things and writing the stories about them and, and I think
0: the big through line to those stories, so, sorry to interrupt, was is the plot of um, the plot of Ethan Carter's family being taken over by some kind of unworldly uh, or otherworldly menace. The sleeper.
1: The sleeper, yeah. Uh, this is a whole story of bad, bad family relationships. Yeah,
0: one by one they just sort of turn to the sleeper and want to kill Ethan.
1: Yeah, they all want to, I guess, sacrifice.
0: Yes, yeah, the overall story of the game is that Ethan is, that Ethan early, before the events of the game, has found a hidden room in the oldest house in red creek valley the vandergriff house and in that hidden room he somehow awakened the sleeper which is a very cthulhu mythosy kind of being i mean i would almost say like it's it's like lifted straight out of a uh, out of an hp lovecraft story and the sleeper has begun taking over the minds of his family and making them be mean and callous towards him and each other and eventually even murderous towards each other Um, and it's never entirely clear I'd say almost even until the end what the sleeper is or what its significance is you know how it actually relates to Ethan's actual reality but well it's heavily implied that it's um, that it's a a supernatural being you know there's the the sacrifices with the with the crow figures and the signs drawn in blood and such.
1: Yeah, it's, it's consumed it.
0: Oh. Yeah, and we'll get to the end and talk about our thoughts about it, but it's definitely implied that this is a real serious supernatural menace that is taking over the minds of his family.
1: Each of the murders, as you work through them, are essentially the murders of each individual member of Ethan Carter's family. And you progress through the story finding there's other puzzles and there's other things that you have to learn and figure out. But all of the dead bodies are are someone uh, in Ethan's family. And as you do these chronological scenes where you actually see it happen, you see as each family member turns on each other, all in hot pursuit of capturing and ultimately sacrificing Ethan Carter to the sleeper. It has several turns where people pretend to be on Ethan's side, and there's a lot of little twists within that, but it is pretty harrowing as you just find body after body that you had seen earlier in the game um, maybe murder another member of the family. Yeah,
0: and the whole time you're thinking, well, eventually I'm going to come to the end of this road and I'm going to find Ethan with a sacrificial dagger in his neck or something on top of a pyre Mm. of,
1: you know... Well, Totems. we do find someone with a sacrificial dagger in their chest. That's, That's true. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> I think it was in <laughs> his eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do want to say, you know, in a previous podcast, we talked about doing amnesia. And I said that the horror genre of virtually everything doesn't really get to me very much. Um, I, I just have a hard time with the suspension of disbelief. I will say there were a couple times in this game. Uh, some of them were the jump scares, which they exist. Uh, they did make me jump a little yeah, bit. There's
0: really only a couple, so it's not that type of game, but yeah, mm-hmm. there's
1: only a couple, but one of them was a huge,
0: I just have to say right now, cause I don't think we'll have time to get to every single puzzle, but there was the, the, when I'm thinking about the jump scare, I have to think about the corpse that First goes lineup. like, booger booger booger. <laughs> Yeah, the cursed miner, yeah. I guess, and or whoever, whatever <laughs> the cursed he is. Miner, yeah, yeah. But, man, that guy got me a bunch, uh, and yeah. that was scary, like the first time, but not the following like twelve hundred yeah, times it, that it happened. Terrible. Because I thought I, I had, I had the the game again. It doesn't hold your hand. I had the wrong idea about how to solve that puzzle, which meant that that guy got me like fifty million times. If you get stuck in this game, you can get really stuck, and. You could easily just waltz right past huge chunks of it, not even know they're there. That's that's another thing. So
1: Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, they do provide a guide of sorts at the at the end of the game that forces you to go back to each section and make sure you completed it. But um uh, like I I walked. Did you miss anything? Um no. I didn't didn't manage to
0: miss anything, but I think it was mainly because I chit chatted about the game a little bit with you, Reagan, and you and you mentioned a couple of things that I might have missed. Yeah. So let me talk about that for a sec, because that's something that really th- this is probably my main criticism of the game is that, you know, it says, "Hey, this is not a game that's going to hold your hand," and so I assumed that something that like Gone Home or other games like it, that it was going to be okay for me to progress through the game and catch what I catch and miss what I miss. And that, that would all turn out just fine. But about two and a half hours into the game, when I hadn't solved anything yet, um, <laughs> and this is supposed to be a three hour game, I realized that I was not playing this game correctly and it was really frustrating i actually went and looked up a walkthrough of this game and i got to the index of the walkthrough and when i before actually looking at any of the content of the walkthrough i immediately realized that i was going about the game all wrong and i'll share you share with you now the thing that i discovered about this game before even actually reading the walkthrough that helped me put put me on the right track Um, so this game appears to have no structure you know if you look at a game like gone home it has essentially no true structure. You can walk through the house and discover the story by picking up objects in literally any order, and there's no set puzzles to solve. I disagree with that. I mean, refer, I'll refer you back to our episode on Gone Home where uh, we raved about the, in, the way the environment kind of led you down a, a narrative path, and I think that is the structure of the story,
1: but please oh, go man, on. Oh, man, I... I act, I, and I disagree with you, Shane, because I felt led nowhere. But I think it's,
0: it's nice that, that these developers can create something so amazing and then be like, okay, well, you know, if you miss part of it, that's cool. But here's the thing, that doesn't work in this game. It, it makes you think that this game is gonna work like that. Hey, you miss part of it, that's cool. It's about experiencing the story as, you, as it comes. But it doesn't actually work that way because this game is structured very specifically. This game is structured into 10 scenes And as you walk through the game, you're going to encounter one scene after another. And the scenes are not... Not cutscenes, they're not things that happen, they're actually just areas. And there are 10 areas in this game that have self contained stories. So, unlike Gone Home, where the story is spread across the entire setting of the game, the entire house, here the story is broken up into these 10 little chunks. And each of those chunks is a self contained area, but there's no border around these areas. So, the first time when you first enter the game, you're in an area that um, is r- referred to as the forest of traps. It's a forest. There's a lot of traps. If you look at all of the traps, then you will progress the story in that you will you will receive a sort of a cutscene and some additional narration and information about about the game world and about Ethan Carter. But if you don't look at all of the traps, and I think there are six of them, then you miss out on that. I think there's five. Okay, five traps. And there's no indication <laughs> No, there's a there's a there's a count there's a counter in a sense, because if you even just walk out I I think, like, if you even begin to deviate from the path that the game puts in front of you, which, you know, I think that first puzzle is designed for you to maybe miss a little bit of it, you know? Because they want want you to be backtracking a little bit at some point. But if you backtrack, if you go off the beaten path, even one bit, as you're walking away from the start of the game, you're going to hit one of those traps. And if you hit two of those traps, you're going to notice that it's filling up a, essentially like a counter or puzzle pieces of a picture on your screen using their, your psychic powers. So, yes, but you don't know where all the traps are and I walk. No, you have right to explore. At, well, of course you do. But That's the point. That's the simplest puzzle because because you see one of those, you know you're going to have to find them all. Yeah, but I, I looked for them all and the problem was that I looked for traps and I walked right out of the area with the traps in them. I found three of the five traps and then I kept walking because I thought I had found all the traps in this area. Maybe I'll go look for some more traps down the tracks and never found any more traps because they were all contained in this one area. And I think that was, that was the problem was that I didn't realize how localized each of the story segments actually is you know each of the so the the scenes break down into two types there's murders where there's a clear body on the ground and you have to find out how it died and that's that's 5 of the 10 scenes and then there's another 5 scenes that are a little more abstract and i'd say that most of them are kind of representative of ethan's fantasy life or ethan's stories so the forest of traps is a little more abstract it's one of the ones that sort of just represents ethan's fantasy life and you find 5 traps in this area And then you're treated to some new information about the game world. Um, A lot of these just involve finding all the things in a particular area. But the area in which you're looking isn't really clear. And that was the thing that really threw me off at first was not knowing... So, okay, I know as the player, oh, if I found two of these traps and it seems like there's more of them, I should keep searching. But I don't know I should keep searching here. I thought I need to search the entirety of the valley. And the valley is so large that that would have essentially ended with me never finding all the traps. Well, I think that in a way could be the strength of the game because once, I mean, I I didn't really approach it with the expectation that I was going to be you know like a lot of adventure games tromping all over and collecting all these objects uh, because some of those early the the early first two or three puzzles that you even have a chance to encounter are very very localized like you know the the traps you can solve in like 10 seconds if you just walk you know cover every inch of that forest and the the first murder that you find um sure the Body parts are a little bit spread around because they got hit by a train, <laughs> but but yeah. uh, you know it's it's all it's all right there.
1: Yeah, I that's like Reagan is kind of hitting on. I I really did. I think this game is is beautiful and it was incredibly interesting to play. My my only real problem with it was what kind of what Reagan's hitting on here is that like or when we compare it to Gone Home, the thing that was so awesome about Gone Home is that. While I might not have been necessarily progressing in that moment of the story, I was constantly interacting with things and constantly learning little bits. Even if it was something simple like, oh, there's a, there's a magazine of, or there's at the bottom of this box, there's some nudie magazines. And that's, that's funny. Um, little things like that. With this game, I found myself essentially tediously looking for little objects that, while the game is, is gorgeous, You know, recognizing that rock next to the stump
0: that was covered in blood.
1: Part of that, just me, I, you know, I've been playing a lot of Destiny, which is a like fast paced, like, and maybe I just wasn't in the right mind space. Yeah. If it's not purple,
0: you're not going to pick it up.
1: Yeah. um, And and I I totally acknowledge that. And and paying attention to finer details is not one of my strong suits. So I, I think part of that was I just had a problem with that. But like, I found myself instead of doing something interesting or learning something i found myself tediously canvassing areas looking for a little white letter that would say inspect and i didn't find that to be very fun i mean there was some there were some really really interesting and really I think really, you've really kind of hit cool the nail parts. on the
0: head with like the biggest problem with the game mate and it's that even though there were more gamey elements, more puzzles in this game, it was somehow much less interactive than Gone Home was. You're not interactive with the environment a lot. And, and I, I would have loved to have seen something more... I think I said to Reagan while I was playing this game, like, I, I want to see more interaction with the environment, even if it means, like, some way to, like... Swing through the trees like Spider-Man. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, or maybe just learn more about the town or something. Like the only objects that were interactable were the objects that were directly related mm -hmm. to the story.
0: But imagine how confusing the game would have would have been if you could pick up every rock. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree with that too.
0: The only interactive objects were the ones that were part of the puzzles, and I think that was necessary to move the story along.
1: Probably. I don't have a. I'm not offering any solutions to this for sure. But I, like even the traps, it's like, okay, I caught onto the traps once I ran into, like Reagan said, once I found a couple of them, and also once I'd gone all the way out to the train track and found the body, I was like, these two things are not connected. I should go back. Um, but so I was able to make that, that deduction. you know, I was able to at least figure that out. But even the traps, I just found myself with my character pointed down, looking at the ground, just strafing where I would go. Up, I'd go from one the back end all the way up until I until I reached the bridge. I would move three feet to the right. From a perimeter. Go, <laughs> I, I, I combed the desert, if you will. Well,
0: that's those detective skills really uh, coming in there. <laughs> we
1: ain't found man, well, shit. There's no, but you had to. Yeah, man, we ain't found shit. But you had to do that because some of these traps are not a no, like that bear trap. It's beautiful. The game is, but you know, brown on brown. Like I'm sorry, I'm not gonna. Spot that from across the map So I was just going And it, it was a pretty good jump scare When I finally found some of those traps When they swing down on you But there was no I, I didn't feel detective-y When I was strafing the ground Looking for, for something to pick up And that was the only part that got me I, don't, I didn't want my hand held I'm not asking for it to be like
0: Pling, pling yeah. you know, Like
1: little markers on the map But what, the other thing about Gone Home That was beautiful Is I think all three of us Took almost the same route through that house, and we played it independently without talking to each other.
0: Entirely subconsciously, yeah. they try that in this. The, the The whole town is kind of just a series of bathtubs that are connected. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's a there's an invisible wall around every single area, or you know, most often a visible wall. And, they're pretty and good subtle, about it artistically walls, but, but they're there. Yeah, but they're there, and yeah. it's not. It's not like a Skyrim. Like you compared it to Skyrim. It it has a linear path.
1: Yeah, that it's a hallway, but it's a very broad hallway, and the hallway has no yeah. gate. Well, it's kind of a loop.
0: Once you once you get actually into the the town, if you will, like to the area with the two large houses on the hill, you can, you can traverse almost the entire town in almost any direction. At that point, there is a road that sort of loops it and you can follow that or you can cut straight across. So for example, I didn't follow the path initially. I cut across and ended up at the witch's hut right after the first house, um, which isn't the correct, you know, quote unquote order, but I don't think there is a correct order. Yeah, exactly. but that area, it is a very, very large and gorgeous map, and you can kind of traverse it in, in any order once you get past that initial uh, train track area.
1: Yeah, but even, like, the witch's house is another example. Like, I get it, they want you to explore, but that was just, like, right in the middle of the forest. and be, like, be- You had to go behind one of the houses, which, that was a cool puzzle, by the way, right. uh, setting the interiors of the house. Um, oh yeah, like that was pretty. That cool. was my
0: favorite um, puzzle in the game, and it was it was not yeah, a murder, but, uh, which was you know the murders seem like the kind yeah. of standout puzzles of the game, but that was probably the best one, and it wasn't one. You're of You're talking murders. about the portal puzzle, yes? In the yeah, uh, that, that was a fat. That was my favorite puzzle in the game as well.
1: Yeah, that one was difficult too. Did you guys do it by rote mem- memorization, or did you figure out that the house nearby had the uh, had the layout? <laughs>
0: I realized that the house nearby had the layout, and I had to build a map. No, there's a. Th- I used a trick to it. I, I realized that, well, I had been in the house nearby that had that floor plan, so I was just, I was bare minimum familiar with it. But the sunlight is coming in through the windows of this beautiful room at an angle, and that was the tip-off. Like, you had to know where's the real sun, and where's the sunlight coming into this room.
1: Mm-hmm. I used the sun, too, and windows would be like, you'd put up a fake. Let, let's set up the puzzle real quick. Basically, you enter into a house where every doorway is a big blue portal and when you go up to the doorway it shows you an interior and you can press x or whatever your you know controller is to swap that interior with a separate interior and when you go through the door if it flashes white and you enter that room then you did it successfully if it goes red you enter into that room but in the other part of the house and you can only do that twice before you have to start the whole thing over and it it's tricky especially if you're like me and you didn't like you're just plowing through these doors at first i guess i was just going too fast and didn't see the little press x to swap so my first thought was that i had to enter through these doors at like the appropriate order so i kept going in and trying to and before i finally slowed down and saw the little x but uh it was it was tricky it was a ton of fun but i did the the same thing where you'd like look through the door and you'd see a window and you're like well there's not even we're in the middle of the house there's no way a window could be right there so i know that's incorrect and i just did it through this memorization of what rooms couldn't be possible in the situation i
0: didn't think of looking for the the entry of the of the sunlight into the room so i ended up going so essentially you're in a small house and then all the interiors that you're seeing actually are in a much larger house that's right next door um and the portals are linking you between these two houses and i went over to the big house and drew a meticulous map of all three floors And that was the only way I was able to complete that puzzle. And it took forever.
1: You are like every game developer's dream player. They're like, when they were thinking, like, someone's going to make a map. And everyone's like, no one's going to bother to make a map. We got to hold their
0: hand a little better.
1: (laughs) And then Reagan's out here making a map.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Reagan and I have a high tolerance for map making in games that comes from (laughs) our love of the Infocom classics. Yeah, I had, I will show you. Look, hold on. This is, these are my maps from the game. I've got one, two, Three, Ow. four, okay, I, five pages of maps that I drew while playing this game.
1: I don't think I've ever made a map for a game, um, but I like it. That's that's a, and I have trouble with games like these, so I probably should start making maps. But I know, like, we're kind of sitting here and griping about it, and and I, I did have some, I did find this game to be tedious at a, at a lot of times, and did rely on some walkthroughs because like the witch's hut. I don't know if I ever would have found if I didn't look up and it's like go behind the house and way into the forest. And I get it. If you're being totally explorative and just wandering around the forest, you're supposed to bump into it. Uh, that was, that was right. actually
0: the one, one of the few that I ran com- uh, across without even like setting out to look for it. I, I really enjoyed that. That was yeah. just something interesting to find in the, in the middle of the forest.
1: Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, uh, like I, I know I'm, I am definitely griping about it, but that was, it was a really interesting game. I don't know what the solution is. I don't want my handheld more, but I do wish there was more for me to interact with, even in the midst of these puzzle puzzles or or in in the midst of the town. One of the things that we've been talking about off the show uh is that you know this game is a direct reaction to games like Gone Home, and I think that this is a genre that is getting more and more popular, and I like to see game developers go for this and uh.
0: environmental storytelling like this is something that's I think really appealing to indie game developers partly just for financial reasons you know if you're an indie game developer and you want to tell an immersive story you've got just a few options you can really dumb down your art style and tell your story in the style of something like um, *To the Moon* or something like that, where it's uh, it's doing it in a inexpensive eight bit or sixteen bit art style with text and no voiceover because that's inexpensive. Or you can um, you know tell your story uh, in an environmental kind of style like this, where you maybe have some voiceover, but you you know this developer this developer would never have been able to tell a story like this through cutscenes. And, you know, full motion video and, you know, mocap. This is this would be impossible to tell.
1: I don't know. I actually disagree with that because it the story is not in it's not a it's not a totally like groundbreaking story. You could totally make a psychic detective who goes around solving psychic crimes, you know, like a hardcore RPG style. But it wouldn't be as effective as it is in this way and it wouldn't require as much thought.
0: Well, it wouldn't be as cost-effective for sure. Like if it would take a it would take an LA noir style budget to tell this story in a in a more conventional
1: storytelling style. I just this has more impact. The story has more impact this way to make you go through such lengths to solve it. But I think you could you, you could see this story a guy coming into town trying to solve Uh, a missing guy a missing kid and all these crazy supernatural things are happening like that could be done in a action uh, like an action-packed rpg type thing but what they were going for it was the like more cerebral like quiet Mm -hmm. version of that story rather than the like I'm a hard-boiled detective and I'm here to solve a crime type story. Yeah,
0: you know, what I thought was interesting about this was that this game got 9 out of 10s in essentially every review that I read on the internet, and I don't know if I'd quite place it there. I mean, you know, it's uh, review yeah. scores are meaningless, um, but I don't think this is on the level of some of the other games we've talked about that use this same kind of storytelling, but it's still a really good and important game, and I think it's absolutely worth your 15 bucks and your, you know, three to five hours. Um, the thing that probably stood out to me as the thing that didn't work for me, uh, as much as the rest of the game did was the ending. And I wanted to know what your guys' take was on the ending. I know it's a little bit open to interpretation.
1: Yeah, I, unfortunately, I kind of feel like it counterfeits most of the story. Um, so I guess we should, we just want to say it. Yeah. Uh, you reached, you reached the end and a lot of it had been leading up to the, this house being burnt down, the Vandergrift house. And... You finally reach this place and find essentially like a secret room that uh, Ethan Carter had been writing his stories in. And, you know, like you said, it's open to interpretation, so you guys can tell me how. You, but basically, the, the house burned down with Ethan Carter in it, and he died. And this, and this is his like, I don't know, it's his like dying thoughts, or it's his soul needing it's his soul needing to be re- released. Yeah,
0: I, what we're seeing, what we're seeing in the actual events of the game, would be that you, you know, you Paul Prospero arrive at the house. It's a cinder, and you go down into the basement and see that Ethan Carter had walled himself up in there. Through your, you know, psychic view of the past, you see Ethan Carter going down there, and then up walks essentially all of the people that we thought were murdered throughout the course of the game. his mo- Ethan's mother, Ethan's grandfather is there, you know, everybody else. And we, we see a scene play out where by complete accident, the house catches fire from a uh, oil lamp. And, um, and Ethan is trapped behind a wall of flames in this underground room. And we see in a f- sort of freeze frame, Um, You know, the camera zooms out through the house and we see his parents and his brother trying to put out the fire while Ethan is sort of huddled in a corner in this room, Um, apparently maybe dying of carbon monoxide poisoning or, you know,
1: huddled in the corner. And And he dies and there's this what's supposed to be touching moment where Ethan's soul or whatever is asking Paul Prospero if he can finally let go. And Paul's like, yes, you can go. And then it all fades out. And so it turns out, Paul, this was all not real. This was Paul, you know, this was the beautiful dreams of a dying child.
0: My assumption was that all of the murders and all of the, you know, family against family was um, was Ethan's um you know, psychological interpretation of the sort of crummy state of family affairs in the Carter household. You know, apparently his parents didn't treat him well. His brother didn't treat him well. His grandfather treated him OK, but also wasn't awesome. Shitty parents. And all of these people were against each other and against him. And because of that, his fantasy life involved all, his rationalization of that was that they were all inhabited by this Creature, you know, this horror the sleeper um, and that, you know, he saw that as the cause of all of his uh, Hardship. Yeah, yeah, but then I I thought that was kind of Really wasn't Ethan the sleeper, you know, he was he must not wake and uh, Maybe he was blaming himself for the state of his family and and things like that. I don't know I think there's a lot of ways you could take it, but it is pretty cut and dried. It was all the crazy dream of Ethan Carter
1: yeah, and my my main issue with it is that Paul Prospero is so cool. And I really <laughs> liked I really liked that this was a real thing happening. And I would have much rather I would have been way more satisfied to just find a dead Ethan Carter. Yeah. That's it. Just he's he's dead in the basement and I was too late. But to make it all like I felt like they tried too hard to make it this touching ending because it goes to black screen where the death where Paul Prospero tells the child that it's okay to let go and he can die now.
0: And it's <laughs> not like, exactly. It's more uh, like, dude, uh, it's more, it's a little more veiled than that. Uh, and I think it actually was a little more open uh, to interpretation, but he, he keeps his hard boiled attitude to the
1: very end. Yeah. yeah. I, I just like, I want a sequel with more Prospero <laughs> of him solving supernatural crimes. And instead he's gone.
0: Adventures of Paul Prospero. Uh, okay. I'm signed on. I, okay. So here's the, he's Paul Prospero, uh, is going to have a series of games in which he goes from the dreams of one dying child to another <laughs> pursued by the villainous sleeper which turns out to solving be solving the like, crime of why does daddy touch me at night <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe it's just i felt like while i haven't seen this story exactly before just the idea that it was all in a kid's head it, it just
0: yeah i am totally with you Nate i i i felt like that that broke things a little bit for me. Shane and I have talked endlessly about what I think is maybe the worst movie of all time, Identity, where we see this really interesting mystery play out with a bunch of characters with, you know, totally strange, inexplicable backstories. It's fascinating. It's a huge mystery. What's the solution? Turns out they're all the the multiple personalities of one crazy fat guy on death row. And it's it's yeah. almost sort of like the, the movie says, hey, you were interested in all these characters and and who they were? Well, fuck you, because none of them are real, and this story wasn't real, and you've just been watching a fat guy sit on his ass for two hours. And this isn't quite that bad, but
1: eh. Uh, it's, no, it's not that bad, because something actually happened. You know, yeah. uh, this kid did die, um, whereas in Identity, no, it's just a guy thinking, um, They should have had a hundred more kids die
0: in this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if there was way more dead kids, I would have been all about it. But it's like there's so much human drama, even though it's it's like supernatural. But like watching the parents fight, watching the um, them kill themselves and each other, and then to find out that none of that happened, and not that I'm like, damn it, that family didn't all die. But it's just it it counterfeits it, and I it, it makes me not care about any of the emotions that I felt while playing. Because it didn't actually happen, and even though it's a video game, it's whatever. I I still feel like I I would have rather all that stuff actually happened. Than it, it does cheapen that it, it
0: just a little, and I do still think yeah. the game has a good story, and I think the ending isn't oh, bad. Yeah. It's it's just not. It doesn't quite do it for me, and I know that it does do it for a lot of other folks. This got a lot of nine out of tens, and and those people played the ending. They liked this ending. It's cliche in a game
1: that's trying so hard to not be cliche.
0: Yeah, personally, I, I, it actually did sort of work for me. It kind of grounded it in the real world. But I, I did feel the same thing you guys did, where I wish yeah. that it had been the story of Paul Prospero, the wizard detective, saving <laughs> a little boy. That was a, that was a better story to me. Uh, yeah. And if they had found some way to make it pay off and and not like undo everything that it had done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um I, and also sidebar, I know I text uh, you guys right when it's done. Is like the vanishing of Ethan Carter, a story of shitty parents. Yeah, man, these guys—it's a whole story about a kid who writes stories, and they're like, "Quit writing these stories!" and It's like I don't know—they're kind of interesting, and and it—I uh, get it that he fabricated this whole world based off of his shitty parents, and that might you know none of his would have existed. But man, all he was doing was writing stories. Lay off the kid, yeah, seriously, <laughs> yeah. Pretty awful. So, anyway, I do recommend playing this game. I know this last like 20 minutes has been me uh, not Yeah, We good didn't things, intend for I, this portion I, of the I, show
0: to be the let's shit on The Vanishing of Ethan Carter portion of the show because this game w- was really, really cool. And I am super glad yeah. that I spent five hours playing
1: this game. Like, I, I would yeah, do it and again. And I'm glad for the opportunity. Yeah. I would like to see other people's opinions on like people that I know. I want to see how they play through it. How long does it take you to? To realize that the environment and how the game works, because like we were talking about, I ran for a long time, just doing nothing, just following the path because it's a video game and there's a path, you know. Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of really interesting little things to discover. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about that I just thought was totally cool was if you notice, there are a bunch of clocks in the game. All of the clocks in the game are stopped at either seven o'clock or seven oh five. All of them. Oh, and I, I'm pretty yeah, sure dude, that, that, that what detail. that is what that is pointing at is that the fire started at seven and Ethan died at 705. Like, wow. I, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure. And there's a lot of little details to sense. discover. Like, when once you do see that ending, as maybe ambiguous about it, as I feel, there's a lot of little payoffs that going back and thinking back over the game, that ending really does kind of work. There's a lot of things that after you see that ending makes you think, oh you know, wow, this is a sixth sense moment where I think back on some of the little elements that I wondered about earlier in the game. Where did that come from? It makes sense.
1: They execute They execute it well. They they obviously knew what their ending was at the outset of the game, and they handle it well and prepare for it well, and, and everything is a tight-knit package as far as that goes. It just, I just wish it was a different ending. <laughs> yeah, so...
0: so I'm really glad we got a chance to play this game, mainly because I think it's important for short games. I think it's emblematic of the kind of things that I think we're going to see more and more of as indie developers realize that there is a market for these short experiences with, you know, daring, interesting play styles and, and you know, new takes on on game mechanics that we haven't seen before. Um And that they can make these games and put them out for 15 bucks, for 10 bucks on digital distribution and get them in the hands of gamers who are really interested in playing these unusual experiences. And I'm really glad to have seen it happen.
1: I mean, I'm about to go spend like $18 on Dumb and Dumber 2. So yeah, go play this game.
0: (laughs) You know what I liked best about this game? What's that? The guns.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All the sweet loot I got. Yeah, when I killed that spaceman and got to wear his space helmet and it gave me plus five to uh to touching dead people, I it was I wouldn't have been able to solve it had I not gotten that helmet. It
0: was kind of annoying in the middle of the game how you had to grind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You had to solve that one puzzle over and over and over, even though yeah, it was exactly the same Until you had enough you had clue to points
0: to, to complete. Yeah. <laughs> well, Thanks for joining us for another awesome episode of The Short Game. This game is uh is totally worth picking up. Go get it. And uh what are we what are we going to be talking about next week, guys? Oh my god, I'm so excited about this game.
1: I think we're talking about The Dark Room or A I'm sorry, A Dark Room, ADR. We have all been talking way more about this game than we talked about e- Ethan Carter. I know I think all three of us really really enjoyed it and I'm excited for our talk about Let it.
0: me just say about about a Dark Room that I am I'm still playing it even though like In the two days, like you told me about it, Reagan, and I downloaded it a few days later. I played it all the way through twice and played the prequel. And now I'm playing through the prequel for the second time. And so that's how much I'm liking this game. It's also how short this game is. It's perfect for our show. This game is amazing. So if you want to be playing along with us, um, go to your iPhone or your iPad or even to the web because this game is available as a web page. Those exist. Uh, it's a web game that you can play on the internet for free. Or I would prefer to play it on your iPhone.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a perfect iPhone game because I've been playing it at work. I've got five minutes to so t- take a look at my phone, do a little bit of um, material collection, which, you know.
0: And it's, it's amazing. It's like nothing I've ever played, and certainly like nothing I've ever played on the iPhone. Um, it's a game that we can't wait to talk about. So uh, join us again soon for our episode on A Dark Room. And thanks, of course, for joining us. And uh, I was your host, Reagan. My, my Twitter handle is at Reagan, K-R-A-Y-G-A-N-K.
1: Uh, where can people find you, Nate? You can find me on Twitter at Nate, S-T-L, N-A-T-E-S-T-L. If you'd like to check out that band thing again, uh, at Bear Hive, BearHive, B-E-A-R-H-I-V-E. Or uh, go to our website, bearhive.bandcamp.com, and check out the record. You can stream it for free right there. You don't even have to click that download button, though we'd love it if you did.
0: It's real good. I've only really listened to one track, um, so I'm a bad friend at this point, but I'm downloading the rest of it um, this evening, and I'll be listening to it again and again and again. Um, But the the couple of tracks that I've heard from it are... Really solid stuff. And I've seen well, you've Bear seen us Hive live. Play. Oh, yeah, so. I've seen you live, and your live show was phenomenal. You guys are great.
1: Yes, go on.
0: Shane, where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: At 8 shane
0: Naturally. And of course, you can follow our show. Our Twitter is at underscore shortgame. And of course, you can find all the show notes and extra details about our show at www.theshortgame.net. Uh, we'll see you again next week.